the scripture reading for today comes from Jeremiah 29, 4-14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. Everybody awake this morning? We are in the fifth week of our vision series, looking at the life of Jeremiah and discussing what it looks like for us to pursue spiritual, social, and cultural renewal with vigor and courage in our daily lives and in the church. The first week, we looked at God's call on Jeremiah's life, and we're reminded that our call is a part of a greater ongoing redemptive story. The second week, we learned of Jeremiah's feelings of inadequacies. These feelings, like our own, often cause us to shrink back from the things of God. But as in Jeremiah, God speaks to our fears with words of reassurance and grace, enabling us to move forward with obedience. The third week, we explain the nature of reform and God's call for reform in our lives. And then last week, Daniel reminded us that we are the clay and God is the potter. He is committed to making us useful and beautiful for the sake of expanding his kingdom. Well, we're on a Costa Rican theme this morning, because six years ago, actually seven years ago, I had the privilege of going on the first trip that we here at Hope Chapel did to Costa Rica. And I can remember, I think our flight took off at 6 a.m., so we got up around 4.30 a.m., over 20 of us went to the airport, and we got on the American Airlines plane, we were all excited, we landed in San Jose, and it wasn't long after we landed that I began to realize that I was in a foreign land because everyone was speaking Spanish, and I thought, okay, I've been overseas, I'm used to this, Um, but then we went out to get into our vans to go to our kind of retreat center, and as we were passing, we were seeing billboards, and again, everything was in Spanish, and I thought, gosh, this isn't where I belong, this isn't home. And then I began to see prostitutes in the middle of the day out on the streets. And I thought, this is not Greensboro anymore. 
And then we kind of got to our um, home base and got settled in, had worship time. The next morning we got up at, the older ones of us got up at 5 a.m. The other ones got up around 6 a.m. And then we were off for the day, like going hard all day long. And then the next day, same thing, kind of going all day long. And by that afternoon, I think as I looked at the team, we all had hit a wall. Um, the excitement, the adrenaline had carried us thus far, but we were tired. We were exhausted. And I remember it was like manna from heaven because Sabrina and Lori Greaves had arranged for many of you to write us letters. And we didn't know that. And so we gathered to worship that evening and Sabrina said, hey, I've got something for you. Letters from home. And she began to pass out letters to every one of us on the team. And we were like little kids at Christmas. I mean, this was like Survivor-esque, letters from home. And I can remember just reading my first letter, which was from Jim Osborne. And just his reminder to me that God had called me to San Jose, that I was going to be okay, the team was going to be okay, and his reminder that you guys back here were going to be okay. Those words of assurance to me meant the world and to the whole team, and it energized us and helped us to carry on through the week. And much to our surprise, every other day was letter day, and we got to hear from you guys. Well, in the book of Jeremiah, we discover another group of missionaries living in a foreign land. The Israelites have been taken into exile to Babylon, where they were struggling to make sense of why they were there, and how they were to live. Jeremiah, who was still living in Jerusalem, he sent them a letter. A letter to speak to their plight and to encourage them. His letter is found in chapter 29, verses 4 through 14. It's one of the most popular and often quoted passages in the book of Jeremiah. And from it this morning, I want us to consider three things, three principles. First is, God sends us out into the world. Secondly, God calls us to bring shalom. And then thirdly, God offers hope to his people. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask you this morning that you would meet us. Lord, I know that the hearts in this room are all over the place. Some are excited to be here and full of joy. Others were really wrestling whether or not to come at all. And their hearts are heavy. Others of us don't even know how we feel. I would ask you, Holy Spirit, would you come in power and minister to your people? Would you speak to us through this ancient text? Would you encourage us this morning? We need you, Holy Spirit. And we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. So if you have your bulletins, I encourage you to, to open up and the passage is there. Or you can look in your Bibles to Jeremiah 29. And the first thing that I want us to consider as we look at this letter is that God sends us out into the world. Now, just to give us some context for that, in Jeremiah 7, we learn that although Josiah had had reforms 
throughout Israel, many of the Israelites were struggling to fully embrace the way of God. And God warned them that if they didn't continue, if they continued to disobey the covenant stipulations that he had established with them, that he would bring judgment and do what they thought was unthinkable. God said that he would destroy the temple of God in Jerusalem. Now, unfortunately, the Israelites, much like us today, are a stubborn people, and they didn't heed God's call to repent, and the unthinkable occurred. God allowed the Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, to invade Judah, and in 597 B.C., the temple was destroyed, and all the shakers and the movers in Israel They were taken into exile in Babylonia. The prevailing thought amongst the Babylonians was that if they could take all the political and religious leaders, the artisans, the merchants, if they could take this group out of Jerusalem and back to Babylon, then those who remained in Jerusalem would readily submit to the Babylonian authorities. Now, since no one paid attention to Jeremiah and he wasn't seen as a shaker and mover, He was left in Jerusalem. But Ahab, Zedekiah, and Shemaiah, three of the more popular prophets, who often tickled the people's ears with words they wanted to hear, they were taken to Babylon. Now, thousands of Israelites were forced to leave the the beautiful hills and the green pastures of Israel to live in the barren desert of Babylon. They were forced to live in a foreign land with a people who spoke different language, who worshipped different gods, and who had completely different values and norms. As you might imagine, the exile was very difficult for the Israelites. And instead of encouraging the people, our text tells us that Ahab, Zedekiah, and Shemaiah decided to take it upon themselves to call attention to the unfairness of their plight. And they stirred the pots of discontent among the Israelites. They told the people that the old religion of Jerusalem is what we must get back to. And to make matters even worse for the exiles, these three prophets lied to them. They said that God had given them a dream, that the exile would soon end. So there was no need to invest in the land. Or the lives of those around them. Now hearing all of this about the false prophecies and the discontent that was brewing among them. Jeremiah reminded them at the very beginning of his letter. That though it was true that the Babylonians had conquered them. And forced them into exile. It was God. It was God who sent them into a foreign land. Look at Jeremiah 29, verse 4. He writes, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Again, he's hearkening back to this this language of commander-in-chief. Your commander-in-chief, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God says to the Israelites, I have sent you into exile. I am the sovereign God. 
And I am the one who allowed the Babylonians to take you into exile. It is I who have sent you there. I sent you out into the world. These false prophets, they're telling you lies. They're telling you that it's not fair that you're living among strangers. They're telling you that it's not fair that you're surrounded by pagans who don't worship me. They're telling you that it's not fair that you have to endure such hardship while your brothers and sisters are back in Jerusalem. They're telling you that you will go home soon. And God says to them and to us, fairness is not a biblical concept. Truth and justice are biblical concepts. Love and grace are biblical concepts. Being sent out into the world is a biblical concept. God says, I sent you into exile. I placed you in Babylonia for my purposes. I'm writing a grand story that you are participants in. And your circumstances, as horrible as they are, are not a surprise to me. They have not taken me off guard. You are exactly where you need to be. And as as I think about these exiles, I couldn't help but think of the story of Joseph. Joseph's brothers have sold him into slavery. He's taken to Egypt in a foreign land. And he could have thought to himself and, and, and grew bitter and resentful and looked at himself as merely a victim. But what does Joseph do when his brothers return? He understood that all things are under God's control. He understood that man, what man intended for evil, God uses for good. He understood that God had sent him into Egypt for such a time as this to help save the Israelites from a future famine. God sent the Israelites into exile. And God sends us into the world. You might be questioning this morning. Is the job that you are in, is it where God wants you to be? Is the neighborhood that you're living in where he wants you to live? You might be looking at your circumstances, no matter how difficult they are this morning. And wondering, is God still in control? Has he allowed everything that has come upon you to come upon you? Jeremiah's word from God is, yes, God has you and me exactly in the job that he wants us to be in or looking for a job. He has us in the family that he wants us to be in. He has us in the friendships he wants us to be in. He has us in the neighborhood that he wants us to be in. He has us at 908 North Josephine Boulevard Street as a church. He has sent us as sojourners into the world. God is writing a grand story. And we, like Joseph and like the Israelites, are participants In this story, we have been sent out into a foreign land among a foreign people to glorify God. The temptation for all of us this morning 
is to grumble and complain. It's tempting to be angry at God for the circumstances we find ourselves in. It's tempting to cry out to God and say, it's not fair. It's tempting to listen to the false prophets among us that say that God's coming back soon. So you don't have to put down roots here. You don't have to be involved in the world around you. You can simply separate yourselves and retreat inside the doors of the church and our homes because the world that we live in is too corrupt, too immoral and beyond redemption. But God says, I am a sovereign Lord. I've got you. I've got this. I have sent you into the world on mission to carry out my purposes. And so I wonder for us this morning, how are you feeling about the places, the people that God has sent you to? What is your attitude towards your coworkers, your neighbors, your classmates? What's your attitude toward the culture around us? In our text this morning, God is saying to us that just as Jesus was sent into the world, God is sending you and me. He is calling us to be exiles in a foreign land. He is sending us as individuals and he is sending us as a church to be a light. And so that begs the question, what are we to do? How are we to live as exiles in a foreign land? And Jeremiah, knowing that we had those questions, gives us the answer as he continues on in his letter. He says, we are to bring about shalom. So the first thing we see in our letter this morning is that God sends us. The second thing we see is that God calls us to bring about shalom. Look at verses 5 through 7. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, as you hear those verses, don't they sound familiar to you? I hope so, because many of these verses are repeated in God's commission to Jeremiah in chapter 1. The phrase to build and to plant is the same commission that God gave Jeremiah in chapter 1. Jeremiah was first to pluck up and destroy as he called God's people to repent and turn from their wicked ways. But then Jeremiah was to build and plant to encourage growth, healing, and reconciliation among the Israelites. But if, if you're hearing these verses and you think, okay, I, I remember that, but they seem familiar, even more familiar. For those of you who are more biblically astute, they are. They, they beckon back to Genesis. Chapter 1, verses 28 through 30. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. This is God's creation mandate. God is calling us as exiles to seek the wholeness of creation. Literally, to bring about shalom. We are to seek the peace of the places where God has placed us. Exiles, you are to build houses and to live in them. You're not on a camping trip like your forefathers were in the desert for 40 years. You will be here for at least 70 years, an entire lifetime. Therefore, settle down. Build a Babylonian house and live in it as well as you are able. And not only are you to build houses, God says, I want you to plant gardens and eat their produce. I want you to immerse yourselves in their culture. Don't run from it. I want you to get some Babylonian recipes and make them. I want you to be productive, part of their economy. I want you to learn their complex irrigation system because it will serve you well in the future. You are to take wives and have sons and daughters. And you are not to be aloof from others. But instead, you are to build friendships. You are to start conversations. You are to love and care for them. And as you do these things, remember that you are to seek the welfare of the city. The word welfare is the same word in the Hebrew for shalom. Seek the wholeness of the city. Pray for the Babylonian people in the city. Throw yourself into the city on God's term. Abandon self-pity and seek shalom. Eugene Peterson says this, The aim of every person of faith is not to be as comfortable as possible, but to live as deeply and thoroughly as possible. To deal with the reality of life, discover truth, create beauty, Act out of love. Will I focus my attention on what is wrong with the world and feel sorry for myself? Or will I focus my energies on how I can live at my best in this place I find myself? God has sent the exiles into Babylonia to redeem and restore it. God has sent us into Greensboro To bring about the wholeness of our city, our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, our gyms, and all of our relationships. We are called to stand up for justice, to feed the hungry, to care for the poor amongst us. We're called to be a faithful presence in every sphere of influence in which God places us. And as I was wrestling with this this week, we often think of of seeking shalom in in grandiose terms. But it doesn't have to be a grandiose big thing. 
It's really in the small, simple things. And I couldn't help but think of Diane Cashin. She doesn't know that I'm going to tell you this. I don't even know if she's here this morning. But Diane lives on a street in Sunset Hills. And she sees that street and the people and her neighbors as opportunities to love and, and preach the good news of the gospel. And so I've watched over these last 10 years her build trust with all of her neighbors on her street. Her faithfully go to porch wine. Even though that might be controversial for some of us. And love and care for them. And not be like in their face with the gospel, but again, to, to plant seeds and to answer questions. Now, there hasn't been huge conversions on her street, but Diane is seeking shalom. She's making a difference. So much so that for her birthday this year, these very porch wine women, with a little help from Richard, they, they know Diane's heart for prayer. And so they built her this, a prayer house. And that prayer house is out in front of Diane's house. You can't see it, but it actually says prayer house. And they're encouraging all the neighbors to, to put prayer cards in that house. This is seeking shalom. Diane's making a difference. If we're going to bring about shalom in this city, it just means being intentional with your neighbors. Get to know them. Hang out with them. Love them. Invite them into your home. If they have a porch wine, go, even if you don't drink, and hang out with them. And then listen to the Holy Spirit. Because He's stirring people's hearts. And as questions come, then speak the truth in those places. And for those of you who are students, I envy you because you have the opportunity to be in an environment where questions are constantly being asked in classes about the culture, about social issues. And you have the opportunity to raise your hand and speak the truth. You have the opportunity to come along a student that you don't even know and say, hey, I want to follow up on that conversation and, and your viewpoints. Those were interesting. And to love and care for them. What a great, great opportunity you have. And I envy those of you who work in the marketplace. Because you have an opportunity to be around those who don't know Christ. Every day, for eight hours a day, you get to build relationships with your coworkers. You get to love them. You get to care for them. You get to speak words of peace to them. You get to cry with them. You get to laugh with them. Don't shrink back from them. Move toward them. That's what Jeremiah is saying to the Babylonians. And it was much, much, much more difficult for them to do that with the Babylonians who didn't treat them very kindly, who saw them as inferior. We have it so much easier here in the United States to love and care for our neighbors. But so, it's so easy to be busy and to be overwhelmed with our own kids that we just shrink back into our houses. We're tired, I get it. Instead of taking time 
to walk across the street when you get home with your kids and knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, can, can you come out and hang out? Let's sit on the porch together. That's one beautiful thing about having a dog is it forces me every day, three times a day, I'm walking through the neighborhood and I have to put the phone down and if there's a neighbor there, go up and talk to them and love them. That is bringing shalom. It isn't like a Billy Graham, you know, presentation that you have to do. It's loving people where they are. God is calling us to bring shalom as individuals. And he's calling us as a church to bring shalom. We have an opportunity for three hours once a month as a church, the first Saturday, to come here to this campus to offer food to those who are hungry. To offer pancakes now to those who want to eat. What a great opportunity that we have to go to Grimsley, to go to Brooks, to love and care for our neighbors over here. Again, I know how busy it is. We are a grace base. I'm not trying to guilt you into this, but I encourage you. Just like we make time for Valentine's Day and we plan and we prepare for it, make plans to be here on Saturday mornings for three hours. If you do that, we're bringing shalom. We're loving and caring for our neighbors. I love that one of the stories about the pancake breakfast. One of the ladies that was in the line for the food bank, she was like, I'm not hungry, but I would just love to come and just hang out and talk. I mean, what an incredible opportunity to love her. To care for her. I don't even know if she's a follower of Christ. And if she is, that's great. And you can have super fellowship. What a great opportunity. And again, everything in us pulls against that. Whether it's soccer games, whether it's volleyball games, whether it's sleep, whether it's travel, whether it's busyness. And again, much grace. But at the same time, it's our opportunity as a church to love and care for the city. So, as we look at our passage this morning, first we see that God sends us out into the world. Secondly, we see that God calls us to bring about shalom. And then thirdly, God offers us hope to his people. After reminding the exiles that it is God who sent them out and calling them to bring shalom in a hostile and foreign land, Jeremiah offers these words in verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes 
and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I mean, I've studied this chapter for many years. And it it just didn't dawn on me that when he's giving this hope and this promise that these folks would never, ever see Jerusalem. And so as you think about that, it's hard to imagine that this was hopeful. But if you look at this text, what do you see repeated again and again and again and again? Is the word I. I. I know. I have plans for you. I will hear you. I will be found by you. I will restore you. I will bring you back. I sent you into exile. God is all over these verses. You see, we can have hope because of God. He is the promise. He is the one who established shalom in the garden. We are the ones who broke it. And he is the one who is reestablishing shalom. Because he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live and to die. So that we don't have to die. But we can live forever. This is a promise of hope because this is a call to a relationship with God. It's a call for us to a relationship with Jesus. And if we're in relationship with Jesus, no matter where we go, no matter what circumstance overcomes us, we have hope. Because God is a God of hope. He is a sovereign Lord. And He is with us. Now and forever, evermore. Jim and others, they sent letters to our team in Costa Rica seven years ago. I hope if you go this summer that we'll have the opportunity to send you letters as well. And whenever I got overwhelmed by the things around me and I grew tired and weary in Costa Rica, I'd go to my bunk. I'd pull out those letters and I'd read them. God has written us this letter in Jeremiah 29. So that whenever we're discouraged by our circumstances, by our situations, whenever we begin to lose hope, whenever we maybe drift off of mission, He wants us to go to our box, to take out this letter and to read it where he reminds us that he has sent you to Greensboro. He has sent you to UNCG. He sent you to Caldwell. He sent you to the neighborhood that you're in. He sent you to the family that you're in. He sent you to the friends that you are in. And he is calling us to bring about peace, to bring about shalom. And he promises us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us. For 11 years, we've sought to bring about shalom in the city. And my hope is that our 12th year will be the most amazing 
year in the life of our church. I hope it's going to be the most amazing year in the restoration of our city. My hope is that we as individuals in our neighborhoods will attend porch wines, will speak the truth and love to our neighbors, that will love and care for all that God puts in our lives. My hope is that we will sacrificially give above and beyond our tithes so that we can pay this building off and be debt free and then use all of our funds to seek shalom in the city and beyond. My hope is that many men, women, and children will come to Christ in 2020. And most of all, my hope is that God will bring shalom in your lives. That you will know the wholeness and the peace of being in relationship with Jesus. And from that place, that you will bring glory to God. Amen.